Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America Prospect Handbook Podcast. J.J. Cooper and Ben Badler here to talk a little international baseball. Ben has uh, just wrapped up. Uh, it's not completely over, but it's largely over. The, uh, the craziness that is the July 2 international signing period, the beginning of the international signing period. Um, obviously, not everyone has signed yet, but uh, I do believe that 29 of your top 30, 29 of the Baseball America top 30 prospects have signed. Again, but none more notable for many reasons than the number one prospect on the Baseball America International Prospects list, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He's got a long ways to go to make a name for himself because uh, his dad did a really good job of making a name for his name. But uh, a pretty prominent guy, obviously, and and goes to uh, Toronto, which is fitting in many ways because Vladimir is is one of the best players to play in Canada uh, in our last uh in the last uh, 50 years, I'd say, and and now his uh, his son is, is going to be a Blue Jay. Yeah, this is a guy who you know you hear the name Vladimir Guerrero, and for at least for me, my first concern was all right, well, getting a lot of attention. He's going to get a lot of attention because of his name, but is right? This is guy he just, really a prospect? Is, or is he, he is he a prospect? Is he just sort of living off his his dad's name? And you know, I, I think there were there were people that thought he maybe was a little bit uh, over, uh, you know. There was a little bit too much hype on him just because of his name, but there were there were also people that said no, this guy is is definitely the number one player out there this year in the July second class. It's it's just a a potential monster bat. I mean, there's you don't see guys who have that combination of bat control and power. It's it's very rare uh, to see in the in Latin America when you're talking about a 16 year old kid and. And really, he just turned 16 in March, so you know the, the bulk of the evaluation and the reports that we have on him are, are from when he was 15 years old. So it, he certainly doesn't look like your typical 15-year-old or, or 16-year-old kid. He, he's at one point he was six one, about two twenty. Uh, certainly, the body is a concern. It's he's not going to run. He's not going to throw like his dad. Again, it's it's really hard to say that just because nobody really. It has that combination of tools that his dad mm-hmm. brought to the table. He's just one of the most exciting players <laughs> but, to watch. I have to interject. I feel really old because I saw Vladimir Guerrero senior in low class A for a full season, and it was awesome. And the fact that now his son is a legitimate prospect in his own right is really a little depressing for me to realize how old I am. But, I know. You know. We're, we're going to have him, and we're going to have Mariano Rivera Jr. and, and Delano DeShields. And and Fernando Tatis signed this year. I don't think he's a you know, and, and, you know, he's guy. a little bit older, but we you know we'll be watching Raul Mondesi playing in the Futures game yeah, again yeah. next week. So we're calling week. Raul Mondesi a, a little bit older, and he's what nineteen or yes years old. But but yeah, I mean we we mentioned it uh, you know in, in our stuff online. This I was asking scouts who would you take at the same age, uh, you know Raphael Devers, uh, who is his number uh, who is the number fifteen prospect on yes. our midseason update. Uh, would, would you take Rafael Devers or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at the same age? And it was about a 50-50 split. I think the consensus was Devers was a more polished hitter at the same age. He was, he was a lefty bat, a uh, very smooth hitter at the plate. It was always getting hits in games. Uh, and, and Vladdy Jr. Is, is a really good hitter too, but I think Vladdy Jr. has a little bit more power at the same stage as, uh, than Devers had. And Devers right now has, has plus raw power, but at the time it was 
it was average. You could tell, obviously, he's going to be a right. it was, a big, Devers was guy. more hit than, yeah. it was a hit over power at, so, at the time of signing. You know, who would you take overall? And then they both had question marks on the position. You know, Devers has an advantage because he's, he's starting out at third base. Uh, with, with Vladdy Jr., it's, you know, left field, maybe right field if, if the arm uh, improves. But that's really a best-case scenario. Uh, there's some scouts that worry, uh, you know, is it, when you're 210 pounds at, at is 16 be years old, base? you know, you're, you're just going to get bigger as you, as you grow older. And it's, that's one of the most, that's one of the hardest things in scouting is with these July 2nd kids, you're looking at 15 and 16 year old kids and saying, trying to determine what position they're going to play. And a lot of it is just based on, on body type. And it's, you know, their, their scouts were really good at, at what they do, looking at guys, uh, you know, long levers or their, their wrists or their ankles or their, you know, how their shoulders are built, uh, how their parents are built. Uh, things like that, and, and you're just trying to make the best estimate of what this guy is going to look like in the future. So I think there's, I think there's enough athleticism for for him to to stay in the outfield. I think just his his entire focus, his whole life has been on hitting, and he's done a really good job of that. He's a really good hitter. Uh, he's got power too. He's a guy who would potentially hit in the middle of the lineup. I know he's 16 years old, but that's the upside that we're talking about. Obviously, the risk is all right. Well, where is he going to play on the field? But I still do feel, even if it's even if he ends up at first base, the upside and the ceiling with him, with the bat and with the power is so high, that could really carry him anywhere. Look at the rest of this list. It's a lot of guys who are athletic, middle of the diamond guys, uh, with a you know a, certainly a preference for guys who are, are able to hit right now. Uh, but that but, is the hardest thing yeah. to project when you're talking about in many cases guys who have last been seen in any kind of serious competition as 15-year-olds because and because most of these guys, I mean, uh, essentially it goes dark long before July 2. Yeah, that's why that's why this year was especially, and I wrote about this, uh, you know, quite a few times, it's, it's especially challenging to do it this year because, look, uh, in reality, a lot of these uh, agreements are being done well in advance of, of July 2nd, in some cases a year before. I mean, there are teams that are, uh, you know, being very aggressive right now on, on 2016 players. And we saw it, you know, this past year, you know, there were teams that were out of the bonus pools. I mean, the Cubs and, and the Rangers knew they were limited to signing players for no more than $250,000 last year. So, okay, they're still going to aggressively scout those players, but they're also going to get a really, really aggressive head start on the 2015 class, you know, like a year and a half to two years before. So they're going to do all their homework then. Now... When you're doing that and you're taking a guy off the market essentially a year before he's eligible to sign when he's still 15 years old, maybe even 14 in some cases, you know, 16 years old. You're projecting it, on projecting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an extreme, this is, this is, these are the most extreme risky players uh, you can, you can uh, evaluate. Let me give you an example. Okay. Just taking it, doing draft coverage. There were multiple guys that I did doing, had other Texas here and all. And Ryan Johnson, who's going to college, Ryan Johnson, outfielder, was, if you rewound the clock to after their sophomore year of high school, you know, these guys do the showcase circuit and all, Ryan Johnson would have been a considered a potential top five, maybe number one pick. He had the body, he had the power, and he's still a fine prospect and all, but what you hope to see that development from the sophomore year of high school, essentially his age 15 year, 
to now hasn't developed as quickly as they hope, as scouts had hoped, so he gets to go to college. You're talking about not after the showcase circuit after his sophomore year, but really, in many cases, teams are doing, think of it in U.S. terms, saying looking at a guy after his freshman year of high school and saying, yes, we're, you know, we're, that's the guy we want to sign, and then hoping that you look at it down the road four, three, four years from now when he's gotten to low A. And you're hoping to say, yeah, that was a good, that was a good pick. Yeah, I mean, these are guys if they were in the states in high school, like you said, they would be sophomores now, and you're making decisions on them when they're, when they would essentially be freshmen. These guys would be on the JV team, and, and you're, and and you're giving them, you know, a million, two million, four million dollars. Uh, in some cases, it's, it's, it's risky. It's really, really risky. But there's there's obviously good talent out here, and, and you can see, look. Where we rank guys is not necessarily line up with the bonuses. Now maybe some of these teams that, that gave out the bigger bonuses, where guys are, uh, you know, were left off the list. Maybe they saw something that other teams did. Maybe they saw them more often. But uh, but I do know there's there's certainly some cases where teams just, you know, they had an agreement. They locked out one day and they said, well, you know, all right, we're a little disappointed in in the way that this guy has trended since then. We're still, you know, we're still. The team of our word, we gave you our word. We're not going to back out of that. Uh, but that right. is there, there's there's nothing contractually binding them to that. But, but I, I respect there is, that. Yeah, and there also is is what you have if you don't is then everyone else knows. Okay, you saying I'll do this for a year and your 14 year old doesn't necessarily then the next time actually count. Yeah, and it's it's there's all sorts of diciness to it, but but yeah, it's it's an extreme. That could be said really for the July two signing period. There's all kinds of diciness to it. Yeah, yeah, one way to put it. Um, one of the things that really stood out with this is Lucius Fox, uh, the number four prospect on uh, uh, on on the BA top thirty. You know, he went as you said. This is not a ranking based on here's who's going to get the most money. Lucius Fox got the most money. Six million dollars. That's shocking. That's shocking. If you ask me, again, Ben's the expert here when it comes to July 2, but if you ask me when the international draft comes, Lucius Fox will be one of the reasons, not the reason, but one of the reasons, because Lucius Fox played high school baseball in the States at a very prominent school, American Heritage. You may have heard of it. As, as in like the, you know, multiple future big leaguers who played there. He didn't actually play shortstop. He played second base. Jonathan India was the shortstop. Not the shortstop on his high school team. And he just got six million dollars because credit, credit to his agent, credit to him. He figured out how to work the system by going and, you know, he, he had, I mean, this isn't a U.S. guy going abroad. He had citizenship where he realized, hey, I can really choose where I want to do this. I can go in the draft or I can go international. And by going international, he got $6 million. Effectively, he got the money that Brendan Rodgers, the top high school shortstop in the draft, he got a little bit more than Brendan Rodgers did this year. He might get more. Do you think he'll get more than Dansby Swanson? He might. It's right around the range. He basically got very similar to what will probably be what goes to the guy who went 1-1 this year in the draft. No one, no one thinks that Lucius Fox, if Lucius Fox had been in this draft, 
He'd have been a supplemental first-round pick. Maybe if a team really liked him, he'd have been a back half of the first round the guy. Giants, I could see, <laughs> back, you, you know, know, taking him there again. Instead. And that's not a knock against Lucius Fox. That's just if you lined him up. But by this is example number five thousand four hundred twenty-two. That the money you get is both a combination of circumstance and talent. You put him. You compare him to this international class. He's two years older than most of those guys. They've, he, you've got a bigger track record than you have for most of these guys. You put that all together, and that's how he gets $6 million, which really what it comes down to is, is that international, you know, the international market is the only market where you largely have largely unfettered access to spend money. You, there are penalties for spending money internationally. One third, basically, of the league is going to be in those penalties next year after this, we get done with this signing period. But that's just a penalty in that it costs you money. And then next year, it costs you how much you could spend to sign a guy. What we've seen very much is, is the difference between that and the penalty of we will take away your draft picks. That's a much bigger penalty that no team has been willing to undergo in the draft. And so in the draft, no one, no one says, you know what, we really like this guy. Yeah, it's going to blow our budget. We're going to lose our next two, two first-round picks, but we'll spend $10 million to get this guy. It doesn't happen. In the international, it absolutely happens because teams realize, you know what, if you're the Giants, we think Lucius Fox spending $6 million, paying a penalty, and not being able to sign a guy for more than 300000 next two years, fair trade. And that's, again... That's really almost becoming as much the common result now as the teams who say we don't ever want to go over our limit, right, Ben? Oh yeah, teams are not afraid to go over their their budget at all uh, and, and pay the penalty if, if they feel they're going to get the you know the talent that's worth it. And it's, we haven't even gotten to the Cuban market yet, but that's what's I mean you know we had two teams last year that will open their pools in the Diamondbacks and the Angels, really just to sign one, one Cuban. Cuban player each. And, you and know, not the best Cuban players out there either. Yeah, I mean, if, and if you look at the, what's happened to the Cuban market since then, it's, it's really exploded. There's there's at least 10 better players out there right now than Yoan Lopez, who the, who the Diamondbacks signed, and, and Baldekin, Rodeo Baldekin, the shortstop the Angels signed. But, yeah, teams are not afraid to go over their international bonus pools. I mean, look at what the Yankees did last year. I, I mean, it's, you know, the Dodgers are doing something... Well, I, I take that back. The Dodgers are not doing something similar to what the Yankees. The Dodgers really went over to sign Yadier Alvarez, and they signed a, you know some other players they liked. They got kind of a. But the Yankees a last start. year decided we are going to dominate the the sixteen year old international market. Yeah, they just completely blitzed the international market. Got a head start on it. Were very aggressive in in doing it, and they got I think it was like ten players on our top thirty list. And you I mean you look at what they're you know they have two DSL teams. You look at what they're doing. I mean. You know, Nelson Gomez was highly ranked. He was a guy that, you know, actually a lot of scouts from other teams had questions about, you know, is this guy just a, you know, a big raw third baseman? Uh, the Yankees said no. He, he puts together really quality at bats. Uh, and it's, it's showing the Dominican Summer League. He's raking in that league. Miguel Flames is, is, is the same way. Uh, the, the catcher that they signed or the guy they moved, they signed and, and moved behind the plate to catcher. Diego Castillo, the shortstop is hitting really well. Uh, Wilkinman Garcia has been on, on the shelf for, for a bit with a hamstring injury, but, uh, talked to scouts who've seen him. It sounds like his tools have, have really increased. I mean, 
they had to be really excited with the, the returns they got in their class. Uh, Brian Emery, who, who they went and, and signed later in the signing period, was also on that list. Uh, he's been, he's been outstanding. Uh, you know, they just went in and got, you know, essentially like four or five years worth of talent in one year. I mean, you could say, all right, well, who did the Yankees get this year? You know, I think they're going to sign some guys in Venezuela. Right. And by the way, but it, it's it, not like you can't get talent. I mean, again, it's you. It's a perfect organization to use an ex, as an example because there's so many guys under $300,000. Luis Severino, under $300,000. Jorge Mateo, under $300,000. I mean, it's not unique to the Yankees. Every team knows this. That some of the best guys they sign are under three hundred thousand dollars signings, and three hundred thousand dollars in the international market will give I mean, you. A... It's, it's not like I think in the next CBA, if, if we you know we may see an international draft right off the bat anyway, but if they're going to change the penalties, three hundred thousand is not a, a penalty. You have to say you can't sign anyone for more than you know fifty thousand or, or maybe a hundred thousand, right. and say also you're not allowed to spend more than. You know, X amount of money. Right. That's the, that's the part that not having that limit. Together, right. Like the, that. You can do the package where you say because again, the thing that jumps out with this is that guys have you know if you have a trainer and he has five guys and a couple of them are five hundred thousand dollar type talents and a couple of them are a hundred thousand dollar type talents. If that, yeah. Or ten thousand dollar talents, if that. Well, okay, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, good, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's not, a, that's not a giant hurdle. That's no. not going to get you next year's top number one guy, but that will get you plenty. I, again, that doesn't limit. And we're talking right now for this year's draft, Yankees, Red Sox, Rays, Diamondbacks, Angels, they're out for this year and next year for signing over 300,000. And then... Already for next year, you know, already where are the teams that have already kind of gone into the penalty box for next year. So we know the Do- the Dodgers yes. are already way. Dodger Alvarez yeah. by himself. Yeah, they got Starling Heredia, Ronnie Brito, some other guys. They're way way over. Uh, the Giants are over. Lucius Fox, about, check. Lucius Fox, which which was a surprise too until you know really the last twenty four hours. He was or supposed so. to be a Dodger. Yeah, I mean, potentially initially it looked like he was going to be a Ranger, and then it looked like he was going to be a Dodger, and then at the last minute the the Giants jump in, which again, it, this is what a lot of, you know, Dominican, Venezuelan trainers, they hate this. I mean, they don't want the teams going over, especially for a Cuban guy or, or somebody like Lucius Fox, because now the Giants are out of it for, for two mm-hmm. years for guys over $300,000. But you got the Dodgers, the Giants, the Royals are over. They signed Suli Matias and Jason Guzman, uh, and, and some other players at the lower levels too. Good class. I, I really like Suli Matias. I really like Jason Guzman. Uh, but they're now out of it for uh, for the next two years. The Blue Jays are over for one year because they went between like 10 to 15% over their bonus pool. We haven't seen any team do that, but they were able to, uh, to, that trade, up for, yeah, to trade up for just enough money. I think they realized, all right, well, we're going to have to pay Vladimir Guerrero like he's, you know, the top paid guy uh, in the class. You know, Fox aside, he's, he's a couple years older uh, than, than these other guys, so... They couldn't quite keep it within that, uh, you know, three point. I think it was like four or five million uh, was their bonus pool uh, that they ended up trading up for. So this year, you know, but again, it's 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 a penalty for them. But you know, if it's a one year penalty, that's you know, you can you can sort of massage money around too if it comes down to it. And again, to if get you, when you get to the Cuban market, you can also if a guy's on that borderline, you can be like, hey, 
if you really like a it's guy, it's worth it now. To can you hang on a little bit longer, and then we can then we can yeah. pay you. So in, in 2016, like you said, we've got those the the five teams that went over in 2014: the Dodgers, the Giants, the Royals, the Blue Jays, the Cubs. The Cubs have not actually officially signed a lot of these guys' contracts yet. It's coming, but they will. They're all in agreement to sign it. They're they're, they're going to be way way over uh, their bonus pool. So there's another five teams: the Phillies have also not officially signed Jalen Ortiz yet. Uh, the Dominican outfielder slash first baseman slash we'll probably have to get rid of that slash pretty soon. I was gonna say I, I, I was gonna say right having in, there aren't many of these guys who I've seen. When we talk about okay a guy who's when we talk about Vladimir Guerrero, we say a guy that's two ten two twenty as a sixteen year old is unlikely to you know stay you know be one ninety two hundred going further. When you have a guy who's two sixty as a sixteen year old. You really hope you just stay somewhere around 260 or 270. Yeah. So I, I think the Phillies are going to be able to stay within their bonus pool and not face any penalties, but we'll see. They're another team where I think, I mean, you'll get all the Cuban talent. One Cuban, there. one Cuban, all of a sudden it's over. And a, a team that's rebuilding, a team that, I mean, this is a team that should sign, I think, two, three, four of these Cuban. I mean, hey, it's not my money to spend. It's right. not easy for me to, right. to but, say but, that. But, but, but you this is a team that should be aggressive for, for Cuban talent. So we've got 10 teams on the sidelines. Under three hundred thousand, and maybe an eleventh for two thousand sixteen. Yeah, maybe an eleventh with the Phillies, maybe more. I mean, these are not the only right. Again, we we, we will get to the Cubans. Cubans. I mean, there's you know because again, yeah. as we've seen the Diamondbacks, and if we were talking at this time last year, we you would have not in any way broke brought up the Diamondbacks and Angels as teams likely to go over, and then yeah. one Yoan Lopez, one Roberto Baldwin, and they're over. Again, any one of these Cubans could end up doing that. And then, that's not counting, you know, we seem like the Braves have traded to stay within the parameters for 2015. Right. But there are a number of teams who you can already look ahead and say, well, there's a pretty decent chance they'll go over. We could have half the league over it going into 2017 because there's a whole group of teams who look at this understandably and say, now, wait a second. If 10 teams or 11 or 12 or 13 are out of spending big money in the 2016 class, well, then we should spend big money in the 2016 class. That's, I mean, that's what I wrote online on our site, is that if I was running a team, and again, it's so easy for me to say, oh, yeah, just drop, you know, $15 million in bonuses right. on this guy, and then pay another $15 million in, in overage taxes. Uh, but, but if you really, if you If you're going to spend that money, this would be a good time to spend it. If you think it. you have a good, if you think you have good scouts, and you're thorough, and you're organized, and you're prepared you know, you're going to have to make some decisions, you know, either now, now. Or, or go maybe even take a time machine and go back <laughs> to... Uh, right, to some of these deals are effectively done. But 2016 is a year to spend with all these teams on the side. It's not like, oh, well, uh, you know, the A's went over to sign a guy. They, they never signed... Right, I was going like, to say, that was one thing I was going to... This is the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Cubs, the Dodgers... You know, these are these are the big. These are teams who have teams. giant financial weight yeah, to throw and around. You're not going to have to compete with them now. I the one issue is that I, I think there are multiple teams. I mean, I I think the Braves are almost certainly going to go for a big, big spending uh, in 2016. I, I hear talk that the Nationals, uh, the Padres, the Twins, the Rangers, who've, who've historically been very aggressive spending. Uh, they've already gone over their international bonus pool before. They spent a lot of money before there were ever international bonus pools. Uh, and they have a pretty good track record uh, when it comes to those those high bonus guys. 
surprisingly uh, enough or, you know, certainly for a, a, a class of players that, that doesn't really have a, right. a great track record for these, these big bonus international players. Uh, so those are five teams I, I could see doing it. So you are going to have some competition if, if a lot of teams decided this is the strategy they're going to take. But, I mean, you could really scoop up, you know, eight, ten of your top 20 players on your list. Because everyone's list, again, is going to look very different. Uh, that each team's internal board that they have, their, their prep list. But you could just go in and drop, you know, whether it's $10 million, 15 even if you just want to go a little bit over and spend, you know, 7 or $8 million on these guys, and then obviously the, the tax is going to double it. But if, if you really believe in these guys, even if you only end up hitting on, on you know, one or two of them, you know, if you spend $10 million and it, it comes to a $20 million total cost, if you end up getting, you know, one or two everyday players out of that, you're coming out way ahead. Way now ahead. it's you're looking way down the road in the future. You may you may not be at that job to be yeah. rewarded for that at that point. You're, but. You're, yeah, exactly. Your GM might say, "Well, you know, forget it." Well, yeah, exactly. I might get fired in uh, <laughs> you know this year or in a couple of years. I'm not going to spend money on these you know 16 year olds. I mean, kids. I'll put it this way: you're, we're sitting here today, and Jorman Rodriguez just made it back up to the big leagues for the second time with the Reds. A big a giant money signing for the Reds at the time when he was signed, which was... 2008. That, yes, which was forever ago. And I he's mean, still, what, 20 Right, he's still, yeah, yeah he's still younger. Like he's, he's still younger. I'm working on the midseason Reds list, and it's like, he's younger than some of these guys who were recent draftees. Yeah. And I've been writing him up for seven years now. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's what you're going to... I've talked about this before, but you're going to get more... More and more prospect fatigue that we just have to be cognizant of with, you know, when we're writing about these guys from the time they sign when they're 16 years old. Wilmer Flores was kind of the same way where he, and especially he, I mean, he tore up the Appy League his first year when he was 16 years old, uh, with, with the Mets. Uh, yeah, Wilmer Flores essentially is like, establishing himself now. Yeah. Wilmer Flores, again, you are talking. Hearing about him for, it seems like forever, but again, we have to keep in mind that we've just been hearing about them more because they sign when they're, you know, either two or, or five years younger than these high school and these college players that are coming into pro ball. It, but the thing that jumps out with this is, is that we also, we said, we could be looking at by next year 15, 16 teams. There's also an additional, what, four, five teams who are never big players in the international that's, that's market. That's a great point. I mean, so we're, again, this is the normal. The normal is now to spend over more than it is. The normal to say, okay, let's stay within our parameters. But the other thing with this is that adds a little level of uncertainty is, is that we were, we saw it with the, with the U.S., with the new draft rules coming in. The last year of the old draft rules was the year to be a projectable high school player. Cause the last year of the last, the 2011 draft was very much like, ah, instead of, instead of letting you go to college, here's 250, here's 300. Because everyone knew next year the rules change. This, this 2016 will be the last signing period under the current CBA. We don't know how the rules are going to change. It could be, it could be international draft. It could not. But that adds a layer of if you are a team who is pretty good, this, again, the great thing if, it, if there are many bad things that could happen with international draft. The one thing is, is that picking 20th in an international draft, if it's a separate international draft, is not the same as picking 20 in the MLB draft because you may pick 20th and go, we got the guy who's number one or number two on our board. Yep. There's that much variance. But 
you can look at it very much and say, this is our last shot to really go crazy because it's going to be codified going forward, which is very possible. So you got that too. It's going to be wild. But the one or before we go on to Cuba, I did also want to bring up, because rightfully the Mets are getting vilified in the U.S., you know, on a regular basis of this big market team that doesn't have money to spend. You know, and they don't spend money, all this. You know, oh, you know, it is notable that the Mets were very prominent on July 2 and, and did a pretty good job of, of landing some top talents. Yeah, I mean, you look at a, some of these teams that went over their bonus pools and, you know, a lot of them got good talent too, but the Mets were, were able to, to stay within their limits and they still ended up with the number two prospect, Andres Jimenez, a shortstop out of, out of Venezuela. And Gregory Guerrero, a Dominican shortstop who just kind of kept moving up the board. Every, every time I talked to another scout, seemed to, seemed to bump him up a little bit more. Uh, he was the number six guy on our board. So I think a lot of teams were, were tipping their caps to the Mets. I mean, you got to be aggressive and thorough. And then at the same time, you got to have some luck too. Now, these guys obviously haven't even played a game yet. But the maturation of these guys from, you know, how they were, you know, maybe viewed, you know, from where they were a year ago to, to where they were now, I think those are, especially Jimenez was a guy who, not under the radar, I mean, the guy, you know. Everyone for, knew who he was. Yeah, he signed for over a million dollars, but the, the Mets got in there, they were aggressive, they were very thorough, and they got a guy who, you know, it sounds like is if, is not, if, if he's not the best pure hitter, he, he's certainly in the top, you know, two or three pure hitters in this class. And it's, it's not just that he can hit, it's that he's, you know, there are scouts that project him to be an above average defender at, at shortstop. I mean, he's, he's got more well-rounded game than, than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. It's not the hitter. He doesn't. Right. But you he's know, he's an up the middle play. He's an yeah. up the middle player. Vladimir Guerrero has no hope of being an up-the-middle player. Right, and you can say, you know, Jimenez, I mean, they were, they were talking, talking to scouts that were saying, look, I think this guy's going to be pretty comparable in, in value to Glaber Torres. I mean, different body type, a left-handed hitter versus a right-handed hitter, but a guy you can hit, a guy who's going to get on base. Uh, he's not just a, a spray hitter. He's, he's going to grow into some strength. It's, it's not going to be big power uh, numbers, but he's got, he's got a chance to grow into double-digit type home runs uh, by the time he's done physically maturing. So it's just a, a really well-rounded player, a guy who can hit and who can stick at shortstop. Yeah, I, I think it was pretty clear that you know him, uh, Vladdy Jr. and, and Leotis Tavares were a pretty clear top three uh, for for kind of the consensus that I gathered from from talking to most of the clubs out there. Uh, and then Gregory Guerrero is you know another guy with you know a lot of guys I guess are more well-rounded than, than Vladdy Jr. But uh, th- there were some scouts who, who even liked Gregory a little bit more. Uh, than Vladdy, just because he does bring more to the table defensively. I mean, he's not he's not a big runner. Uh, he's a below average runner. But there were still scouts that said, no, this this guy is this guy's a shortstop man. He's uh, he's come a long way in the last year. Uh, he really improved his footwork and, and his defense. He's got a plus arm. That's that's probably his best tool right now. Uh, just is is the arm strength. Uh, so he's got the arm for for shortstop. Uh, I think if if he continues to to come along defensively. Then yeah, I think he's got a chance to to stay at shortstop. And, you know, and if not, second, third base maybe. But chance to stay at shortstop and, and a really, really high baseball IQ and a, and a knack for for the barrel. There's there's some hitchiness to his swing, but uh, but he's got bat speed. He's got feel to 
uh, to put the barrel of the ball in and a knack for, for making contact in games. So, um, you know, you compare him to a guy like Wander Javier, who, who the Twins signed for $4 million. I think Javier's ceiling is certainly higher. I mean, you know, plus arm, plus speed, plus uh, potential, plus defense. He's, he's got, you know, probably more raw power uh, than uh, than Gregory Guerrero does. But uh, there's there's just more question marks on the bat. He's, he's more raw at the play. You can see it in the, even just in the BP video. Uh, that we posted on our on our site, uh, and you know he's out on his front foot a lot. There's there's going to be some adjustments he's got to make at the plate. If everything comes together. I mean, he has one of the highest ceilings in his class. That's why the Twins are going after him. Uh, but Gregory Guerrero is, uh, I think he just he's, he also has a good chance to say at shortstop, but he's got a better chance uh, to hit than Javier. That's why we put him at six, and, and Javier uh, went a, went a few spots lower on the list. But yeah, for the Mets to come away with the the number two and, and the number six prospects uh, on our board. Uh, and certainly we're very high on, on a lot of teams' boards uh, internally. They just had a lot of teams tipping their caps to, to the work that the Mets did this year. So that going to transition from that to the other part of the international market, which is the the ever-growing Cuba market. We've, we've gotten to see uh, Cuba's national team. You're getting ready to get a, head over to see them again. Uh, they're playing Team USA's college national team again tonight. Uh, they'll be playing against uh, Canada and the U.S. pro team as we tune up for the Pan Am Games, which will be next week. Um, And I I know no other way to say it, you know, I don't follow them as closely as you. I do not watch hundreds of Cuban uh, Syrian national games every year like you do. But Cuba's national team has always fascinated me. I love international baseball and... I, I, it's been fascinating to watch. Like you go back to the 2000, you know, the 2000, was it six or seven world, 2006 world baseball classic? That, you know, that, that roster, then you look at the, the next world baseball classic. Those were fascinating teams with players with dominating tools. The team that came here right now that's playing at the uh, U.S. National Training Complex right now in Gary is not a team full of Fascinating players with dominating tools. You have some players who, there are some pitchers who really know how to pitch. There are a couple of players on there who, you know, who do have some solid tools, but there are a whole lot of guys in the lineup, there are a whole lot of guys coming in to pitch who look like fine baseball players, but nothing really that special. Is that fair? I mean, I know you don't see quite as many Cuban games, but you see, you see a lot of double-A and you see a lot of triple-A games. And I think you saw probably a lot of familiar skill sets to I, I mean, just again, the organizational were, kind of players. They were playing said. the college national team. Yeah. Like now, admittedly, college national team has some of the better college players in the, in the country. I went over, the first day, I went over and watched the 18U, the Team USA 18U red and blue teams because they were winnowing down to their 28. If you ask me talent, again, that shouldn't be a comparison. Yes, they are a little bit more physical, but not much more physical. When you, but you look at pitching talent on those 18U U.S. national team, 18U teams versus the pitching talent that we saw with Cuba. I mean, arm strength, secondary stuff. The, it's the high school kids. Oh, it's night and day. I mean, the, the best we, we've seen in, just in the last like year or so, we've seen Cuba lose Norhe Ruiz. They've lost Vladimir Gutierrez, Yaisel Sierra, who 
I'm not even sure Sierra would have necessarily made this team. Just he's a little bit raw, but he's up to 96. He's mm-hmm. definitely one of the hardest throwers in Cuba. Uh, they've lost even like Sionel Perez is out. Ronald mm-hmm. Bolaños was one of their best and, young pitching prospects who probably would not have even been on this trip, granted. But and that's the last, and that's yeah. in the last year, and then you rewind a year before that, and then we can say. Juan Lopez, Rafael Iglesias, Miguel Gonzalez. Miguel Gonzalez. And then you can rewind a year before that, and we can have another list. And you can rewind a year before that, and we can have another list. And we can rewind another year before that. It's, it's. The state of, I mean, the state of pitching in Cuba, we saw, we saw the best arm that they have in their entire country, which is Hector Mendoza, uh, who's a young, they actually use him as a, as a reliever in his team in, in Cuba, and, uh, and he's actually playing in Japan too, uh, so he's, He's pitching out of the bullpen for, uh, for the Yamiuri Giants as well, but, uh, he's, and he's obviously a reliever on this team too, but if he was in the States, I mean, he would definitely be a starting pitching prospect. He's up to, I think, 93 or maybe even 94, uh, with, with, with pretty good feel for, for his off-speed stuff too. Uh, but after him, I, I think the next, I mean, with, with Ruiz gone, with Gutierrez gone, I think probably the next Best pitcher, just in terms of major league talent uh, or major league potential, is a is a 16 year old left handed pitcher named Adrian Morahone, uh, who pitched on their 15 and under team at the World Championships last year and was was the MVP there. Uh, that that's how bad it is that the 16 year old pitcher would probably be the next guy uh, on the list after after Hector Mendoza. Well, if you look at it right now, so how many players are there right now, Cubans who are Either eligible to sign right now, or will be are in this are in the process and will be eligible to be signed by the you know by next year's July two. I mean, there's at least probably ten to to fifteen guys. Pro- and those are probably who know. are who are legitimately interesting guys uh, worth signing. There's seven guys. We, we rank the top twenty prospects, the top twenty players in Cuba in April. 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 So this is like three months ago. This and the, their season ended. The regular season ends in March. The, the playoffs ends in in April. So there was some thought. We last year we did the list in August. And I thought, all right, well maybe I'll wait till we see them in the summer and see who. <laughs> no, uh, better get them. Yeah, get I was her. like, you know what? Let's let's expedite this project and get it out immediately uh, because they're not going to be around in the summer. So seven of those guys have left. Uh, Norhe Ruiz, we mentioned, is out. Uh, Yaisel Sierra, we mentioned, is out. Uh, two guys just left the team here in North Carolina, uh, on their warm-up trip. I feel, I feel good that I got to see O, La O in his, yeah. in his game. Louis, which, by the way, yeah, Luis look- Yonder La O played one game. It was probably the worst game I've ever seen him play. I would, he looked like it, maybe his mind was not in. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a guy, there's question marks on, on the bat, but generally he's, he's an aggressive hitter. He, he generally does not swing and miss all, all that much. Uh, he, he puts the ball in play. He, he looked very out of sorts in that game. And you could obviously. And now we know. Him. Yes, he had a reason to. So he left. Yadiel Hernandez, an outfielder left. Uh, kind of, uh, I mean, I don't want to. I don't know if I should bring this name up in front of you, but it kind of reminds me of like a Daniel Nava. Hey, Yadiel Hernandez, my kind of guy. So you know, I don't know if he's like you know maybe that like a Cole Calhoun. If you, I, I think he probably ends up signing, and he's. I mean, he, he just left, so we're talking about him being you know several months away from signing. He's at least exempt from the international bonus pool. I think he's 27 years old, um, 
I could see him signing more of an analytics-heavy uh, team uh, just because the, the raw power is not really what you want in a corner outfielder. And he also, when he has been out, he has struggled. Uh, he really looked bad at the Caribbean Series. That was one of the uh, one of the times I, he really looked worse uh, than I've ever seen him before. But, you know, he's he's consistently been the last couple of years among the leaders and, and on base percentage in Cuba. He does have a pretty simple swing, just uh, corner outfielder, question marks on, on the power there. Uh, and some of the struggles when when scouts have been able to see him in person, uh, but I think he is a, a you know a solid player worth worth signing. We'll, we'll have to see where uh, his market goes. But yeah, then we got you know younger guys out there right now who are subject to the pools. Uh, you know, Randy Arosarena is out. This guy, I don't even know if scouts have seen him all that much, frankly. But uh, I know he was on on some of their junior national teams a, a few years ago. But uh, this guy, you know. He's going to play somewhere in the middle of the field. Or it's, I, don't know, I don't know if it's shortstop, second base, center field. Um, but he can hit. He's got a really nice line drive swing. Uh, really quick twitch athlete, plus speed. Uh, he's had a really good eye at the plate, too. I, I think he's got a chance to hit uh, and, and get on base at a, a really high clip. Uh, hits to all fields, potential top-of-the-order type bat. He, he's still a, a ways away from signing. But uh, if I was a team, this is definitely a priority guy uh, that I would go after. And now, just uh, just recently, we we reported that Jorge Onya, who was, he's you know, one of your favorite guys. Yeah, I mean, I I've I've seen him less than anybody else, and I yeah you know, I wrote that. I wanted to make it clear that there's there's less certainty on him than with a lot of these other guys. But what he showed in Mexico last year at the uh, at the 18 U's was was really good. I mean, he hit he hit for power. Now a lot of the competition he was facing. Was I would say it varied. I mean, he placed he faced the U.S. and Canada, which had some pretty good pitching. He also faced uh, Ecuador and some other teams that looked like they just rounded up a bunch of kids and said, "Hey, yeah, you want to play the national team? Congratulations! Yeah, yeah, do you guys know what baseball is? Uh, do you want to come come learn? Yeah, we'll play at this tournament." So, uh, but it looked everything was there. Though. The bat speed, the swing uh, was nice and compact. Uh, the power was certainly there. I uh, showed a strong arm. It's you know, defensive instincts, plate discipline, you know, that's hard to judge. He, he did hit well in the Cuban Junior National League. He, he did show a pretty good approach uh, from what we saw in, in Mexico. Um, he generally stayed within the strike zone, so uh, encouraging in, in that uh, fairly limited uh, look. And, and I did get to see a little bit of him uh, this summer uh, playing in their, their 23 and under league in Cuba, but it wasn't uh, – <laughs> it was a very brief look. He got – I, I I love that that Ben's not only watching Surrey National, but you know, I mean, I mean, what what are the quality of broadcast of an under twenty three, uh, you know, Cuban league? Yeah, I mean, as long as the feed is is clean, it's all right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, th- this guy could be an electric electric prospect. The problem is that for somebody like him or Ronald Bolaños or Cionel Perez, the two pitchers we mentioned earlier, MLB's this is a dopey rule. Yeah, I mean, it's if if you're not if you're born after September 1, 1995, so essentially if you're 19 years old or younger, you have to have registered with the commissioner's office by May 15th before the July 2nd when you're eligible to sign. Which if, if you're in Cuba on May 15th, you're not really going to be able to register. Yeah, so these guys, those guys are going to have to wait until 2016, which means no Yankees, no Red Sox, no Dodgers, no Cubs, no Giants. Like, all these big teams are going to be out of it. So when we're talking about enticements to, to blow out your pool in 2016, 
that's just another one that more of these Cuban guys, and especially a premium guy like Onya and, and Bolaño, so I think is a, you know, we didn't rank him top 20, but I'll say this, he, he came pretty close. You look at his numbers, there's nothing special there. But this is a guy who was a, you know, a conversion guy, two pitching, really athletic, up to like 92, 93, flashing a pretty good slider. There's a lot to like there. Hey, I'll put it this way. That's the kind of guy who the reality is is that that kind of profile Cuban player on the market, that's a five million plus player consistently. And it can go much beyond that. Yeah, I mean I mean there's there's gonna be there's gonna be talent in two thousand sixteen. There's guys out there now. I mean, we haven't even talked about, you know, Eddie Julio Martinez and Alpha is a pretty solid player. He's actually a free agent right now. Andy Ibanez uh is still out there. He changed agents. Uh I, I think the fact that he's just not a a big tools guy. Uh, is, is hurting uh, him somewhat. I, I think the age, the, the agent change is, is also a pretty significant factor uh, in his case. And then you've got you know five teams who are uh, out of the market for him. It's 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 very muddled what's what's going on with him. Uh, Guillermo Heredia is out. He's a he's a major league free agent essentially. Uh, he's not subject to any of the the bonus pools. He's a free agent. He'll probably start doing showcases at, at some point pretty soon. Uh, Alfredo Rodriguez, who was a shortstop, who was you know, he was the rookie of the year in Cuba last year, who only won the award because Yusnier Diaz, who was our number 17 player on our top 20, hit better than him. It was, it was very clear that he should have been rookie of the year, but he left Cuba, so they gave it to Rodriguez. And then Rodriguez... <laughs> like, oh, thanks Cuba. for the award, now let so, me leave. Well, you know, he's a talented defender. I mean, there, there's just so many guys out there that that are, you know, it's the biggest thing that's changed in the international market. There's... Over the last couple of years. It used to be you get a player or two, and now you could field a team of Cuban eligible free agents. I think the Dodgers are trying to do that. And that's the thing is, is the Dodgers are trying to say, Cuban, Cuban team assemble. I mean, they're trying to put it all together. Yeah, it's, and it'll be interesting to see what happens to the prices. I mean, in Vladimir Gutierrez, I forgot to even mention just because he, he left before he even put out this top 20 list at the Caribbean series, but I mean, this guy is a, we're gonna post a video of him as soon as he becomes a free agent. You're gonna see it's a it's a, it's a knockout curveball, uh, fastball up to like 93 right now, uh, or at least the last time we, we saw him, um, you know, within the last few months. But uh, by just screams projection to be thrown at least in the mid 90s, if, if not higher, uh, and, and good feel for pitching and feel for a changeup when he very rarely right. throws. The kind it. of guy who gets a gazillion dollars. I mean, I, I would take him. Assuming the projection comes out to to what I think it will be in terms of the velocity, which I think is a very safe projection with him, I, I would take him over over Yadier Alvarez, and I know that I'm not alone on on that call either. But um, but, but no, yeah, it's it's going to be a fascinating and very busy Cuban market. The the other thing I wanted to follow up with that is is that there's always you know we're seeing liberalization of relations between the U.S. and Cuba. You know, there's an announcement, there's going to be an embassy. Cuban baseball, to me, the thing that jumps out, and I guess maybe I'm overly romanticizing it, but as we see another 15, 10 to 15 top Cuban players come to the States, Cuban baseball needs an, uh, an improved policy. You know, this for more so than the U.S. does... The, for Major League Baseball, they're getting these players. They're coming over. But in an ideal world, eventually, you, you would think that, you know, again, if you're Cuba, 
with all this, you do hope at some point that you don't see Serie Nationale essentially circle down the drain because everyone's coming to the States. And understandably, everyone's coming to the States because we are seeing more, uh, it's more liberalized trade policies and all that. It's a little easier than what, you know, it's getting a little easier to get over. We've seen some guys actually come over with legal some immigration, yeah. legal immigration. And on top of that, you have the fact that, you know, again, they see that guy got that much. Well, if that guy got that much. Then, then how much could I get? Because these players do know, you know, they're seeing players who they know they're better than getting millions of dollars. Okay, well then, I, sh- I should get millions of dollars. Yeah, and I, you even see a lot of guys coming out who <clears throat> just aren't even that good. Right? From a major league, if you're a major league team, there's guys coming out who are, you know, good players in Serie Nacional, solid players in that league. And, you know, you put them in a major league team, it's like, what, oh, this guy's like a double-A guy at best. This guy's org filler. But, but org filler is a pretty good life in some ways. Uh, it could be. I mean... I mean, I was thinking, like, if, again, if you... A, a lot of the thing is, a lot of the org filler guys probably aren't even getting signed. If they are signing, they're probably not signing for much. Then again, there are, you know, look, the Dodgers just gave Pablo and Leon Fernandez $8 million. I mean, he was pool exempt. They gave him a minor league mm-hmm. deal. Um, so they're not paying any penalties on that, but I mean, $8 million for a guy who was a reliever throwing 86 to 88 miles an hour in Cuba. They were way out on an island on that one. Uh, so and $8 million guys, is life-changing money, not just for him, but eventually, again, if policies get liberalized, for his family. Sure, sure. But there's, there's so many guys out there. I mean, think about all the guys, all, all the guys I've written about on, on baseballamerica.com are the ones who are worth writing about. There's there's at least another 50-plus guys out there who are just marginal org guys. I mean, maybe they'll get their name in, in the press. Uh, I mean, and maybe maybe it works. Look, look at how much money Daniel Carbonell got uh, from the Giants, and he's been possibly the worst hitter in the minor leagues this year. I, I, would think, I don't think possibly is really part of it. It's yeah, just I'm he is. throwing in a... Maybe it's a park factor. But, uh, <laughs> it, is, it is a hard park to hit at, but... He's, uh, yeah, he's unfortunately come, come about as advertised, but it's, it's, uh, yeah, there, there's just so many players out there, and there's, there's a lot of guys who are just very marginal type talents. But again, and there's a lot of guys who are really, really good at it, and it's skewing toward the younger players who are affecting these, these bonus pools. What will be interesting to see now is that, okay, before you had, uh, you know, Baldekin was out there, and Baldekin was never like, him and Yohan Lopez were always, like, interesting guys, but they were never, like... They were never the guy. Yeah. It was never, like, oh, wow, this guy's, like, a mate. This is, like, a, like a Norhe Ruiz or, or Rosa Reina or, or, uh, or, or, you know, Moncada, somebody like that. It's, they were not in that caliber of, or, like, a Jorge Soler. He was before the bonus pools, but, you know, Jorge Soler would have been, like, a huge deal. Obviously, if he'd come out now, he was a huge deal back when, back when the Cubs were able to sign him, but... Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens to the prices now when you do have five teams out of it, and then also you have just so much more, the supply has increased so much more, where you're not fighting it out over, you know, a, a couple of guys who, who might be out there. There's, there's, I mean, legit 10, 12, maybe 15 guys under the pools 
and, and even some guys who are going to be out of the pools but uh, who are affecting it somewhat. But the, the supply is so much greater, it'll be interesting to see what happens to the prices and how that affects demand. It will be fascinating. It's going to be, you know, this is going to be a continual story that's going to be, we will touch back on this. We'll check back in with, because it is, and it's been a continually evolving story for years now, but it just keeps growing in, in many ways, it feels like. But got to wrap this one up. For Ben Badler, J.J. Cooper, thank you for the download, and we will have a Futures Game preview podcast to get you ready for the Futures Game later this week. So it's a very busy week of podcasts, but uh, we hope you enjoyed this look at July 2 in the, the Cuban International Market. As always, there's a whole lot more than this at, at BaseballAmerica.com, especially for subscribers. You know, If you just go to the international section, Ben has been very busy, very, very busy. Uh, over the last few months getting us ready and now wrap, you know, not really wrapping up, but, you know, but putting to, to, to bed the, uh, the, the first wave of international signing, the July 2 signing period now that's begun. And again, if you want to go backwards a little bit, you also have, you can review for subscribers what, you know, all, everything that happened last year. I love going, looking back at those years later. I'm doing Mid Midwest League call today with the scout and like looking back at, you know, the list from two years ago. And it's like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, there's times when somebody will bring up a name and then I'll, I'll be like, oh, this guy's, you know, some scout will bring up a guy or, or you know, text me about somebody and say, hey, what do you have on uh, this guy that I just saw the other day in the, the Arizona League or the Gulf Coast League or uh, the penalty, something like that. I'm like, oh, I don't know that name. And then I'll search him and I'm like, oh, I guess I did. Yeah, I, did. I, I wrote it I did write about him. Yeah, he signed for $150,000, you know, two or three years ago and I had this report on him. So, yeah, those always are, are coming in useful. It's always good to have as much, as much history on these guys as possible. So that's, uh, yeah, that's why we have those 200 plus, uh, reports on everybody who signed last year for, uh, for at least $100,000 and, and some other sleepers mixed in there as well. So that was, uh, you know, Orlando Arcia was one of those sleepers, not all that uh, long not ago, that long under, under hundred thousand dollars. So that's the thing. I mean, you know, it's, uh, the international market. It's like we're talking about a guy's under three hundred thousand dollars. That's, I mean, that's the, not the, a the hit. The hit rate. The hit rate on a ten thousand dollar or twenty thousand dollar Dominican prospect is vastly greater than when you say. A 25th round pick who got twenty thousand. The Royals World Series roster. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Ventura, Herrera, Perez, and sometimes it's you know look. I'm the one who puts out these rankings. It's it's a ranking of you know what we what we feel is industry consensus on talent, but at the same time, it's the guys who have had the most exposure too. Right. I mean, well, I, again, you guys take the Royals. Who, Raul Montesi, Elier Hernandez. Elier Hernandez was the more well-rounded guy at age 15. Like he was like the more consensus guy. Yeah, he's the more. They were both. They were both yeah, high-profile guys. But it's also like there's cases where every year guys will be like, well, "We signed this guy for, you know, hundred thousand dollars, and we're not, you know, they're not just patting themselves or trying to pump up a guy, but they're like, this, this, is, the, this, this is the best guy we signed. Like it's like very apparent. He just happened to be, you know, training right. in some remote area in, in Venezuela or, uh, you know. And it just was well, a trainer who just didn't really realize or, what he had. I mean, sometimes guys sign their 86, 88, and then you know, a year later, they're like, pitchers are that's why it's like, oh, he's 95. Yeah, and like, yeah, he's really something now. We, you know, yeah, we, 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 we hoped this would happen, but we can't tell you that we thought he had 10 more miles an hour in there. I mean, Francis Martez, the, the Marlins signed him for. <laughs> I, I don't remember the exact bonus. I'm, I, it's the Marlins guy, so we know it wasn't much. It was under $100,000. 
Velocity cranked up, went to the GCL, looked really good there. Uh, Astros pretty much demanded him in a trade. Uh, he's been great last year. In City this year. And the Marlins said, oh, well, sure, he's a GCL guy. You know, we like him, but we're willing to let him go. Velocity keeps cranking up. I mean, he's going to be pretty high. Up, uh, he's moving high up the up the Astros board this year for us. But well, that was a little bonus. That was a little addendum to here. But for Ben Badler, I'm JJ Cooper. So long, everybody.